welcome to our Southwinds online Christmas services. We are asking this year how we can have the best Christmas ever. And we're looking at stories of people who lived that first Christmas. Last week, we learned from Zachariah and Elizabeth's story how to receive the gift of waiting. Today, we're looking at Mary, one of the most celebrated and most misunderstood people in all history. Mary has captured the imagination of people for 2,000 years, and her story raises an important question. What do you do when God gives you the gift of interruption? Interruptions are among life's hardest challenges. Have you noticed that more often than not, life does not turn out like you planned? We face interruptions all the time, and how we respond to God's interruptions determines so much of whether or not we grow spiritually, whether or not we become like Christ. Mary is about to be interrupted. We meet her in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now these are just phenomenal words. And this passage shows us God interrupting someone's life. An angel comes to this young girl named Mary. She's engaged. And as a general rule, any time a girl is engaged in planning her wedding, it is not a good time for an interruption. Maybe some of you know that and you've been there, especially in this last year. Today, engaged women often buy bride magazines. Do you have any idea how many bride magazines there are? There's brides and bridal guide and modern bride. There's today's bride and elegant bride, Northern California bride, Southern bride, magazines for almost every state and major city. There's even a magazine called Bride Again magazine for what are called encore brides. I'm not making that one up. They just did so good the first time they get an encore. Now, so many bride magazines, but let me ask a question. Have you ever seen a magazine called Modern Groom? No, because nobody cares about the groom or what the groom looks like. See, a groom at a wedding is sort of like restrooms in an art gallery. You have to have them, but nobody goes there to look at one. And in our day, the focus on the bride, when the girl gets engaged, there, there will be engagement photo shoots, all kinds of pictures on Instagram, especially those featuring the ring. But for Mary, there would be no ring, no magazines. New Testament scholars say that Mary was one of a group that was called the Anawim. The Hebrew word Anawim means literally the poor ones. These are sometimes called the, the faithful poor. 
And the Anawim were the financially deprived, the sick, the disabled, those who couldn't trust their own strength, who had to depend on God. This was real clear to them. Scholars say their existence goes back to at least the exile. And the Anawim hung around the temple as much as they could. They were people who regularly poured out their complaints to God because they didn't have anything. A number of the Psalms show this Anawim piety and, and they talk about how God will care for the humble. Psalm 149.4 says, the Lord crowns the humble with salvation. That's a classic statement of Anawim piety. Luke 2 shows us two other Anawim, that figure in the Christmas story, a woman named Anna and a man named Simeon. Both were very old people who just basically hung around the temple waiting for Messiah to come. And the Anawim were people who eagerly waited for God to help them because they knew they could not make it on their own. We know Mary was from this group because when Jesus was born, she couldn't even afford a lamb for his dedication. We know because in her prayer that we'll see in a moment, the Magnificat in Luke 1, she will say, for he, that is for God, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And that's kind of code language for the Anawim. Mary knows about depending on God because there is no other hope. And finally, something good happens to Mary. She gets engaged. And for a a young girl from from the Anawim, this can mean the difference between life and death because if, if no one married her, she did not have a lot of career options. Joseph's not rich, but he's respectable. He has an occupation. And for maybe the first time in Mary's life, her circumstances are looking up. She's getting married. She'll have a home. And then God interrupts her life. And it seemed like a bad thing. But it was only when God interrupted her that she could celebrate Christmas. You know, it can work that way for us as well. Here's a thought I want you to consider this Christmas. You might write this down. Truly celebrating Christmas calls us to open our lives to God's interruptions. So let's talk about what that means in real life. I want to look at with you three ways that you can respond when God gives you the gift of interruption. Here's the first one. You can write this down on your notes. Humbly submit to God's interruption. That's the first step. Will you submit to God's interruption? In other words, will you be responsive to his plans when they're not the same as your plans? Look at verse 28 again. An angel appears to Mary. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now notice verse 29. It says, Mary is greatly troubled. Not just troubled, but greatly troubled. Why is that? Well, this is precisely the kind of greeting the angel of God would give to someone in the Old Testament who's about to get a difficult assignment. A classic example of this is found in Judges 6.12. Angel comes to Gideon. Gideon is hiding from the Midianites. And the angel says, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon finds out that he has to fight the Midianites. We're going to see in a little while that Mary knew her Old Testament. You'd be surprised how well she knew the Old Testament. And Mary understood immediately that there will be a deep challenge associated with this greeting. The Lord is with you. So many of our classic depictions of Mary in art show her as absolutely unflappable, just unperturbed by the angel's visit. You know, in all the stained glass windows in the churches of Europe, she's totally serene. She's completely calm. That's not what the Bible tells us. Art historians tell us that the first painting that 
really started to change this was, was this one. It was painted by a man named Dante Rossetti in the 1850s, and it was controversial at first. You say, why? Well, because it painted Mary as a normal human being who was, as the Bible says, greatly troubled by the angel's visit. Rossetti painted Mary based on his own younger sister, and I love the body language here. It's like she's trying to get away, not even looking at Gabriel. She's greatly troubled. Why? Because God is interrupting her life. And though she doesn't understand all this means, she knows that what God is asking her is enormous, that everything is about to change forever. And she will not know the, the life that young girls from the Anawim usually dreamed about. God is interrupting her life. God's interruptions often work this way. I mean, how often in the Bible does an angel interrupt someone and say to them, the Lord is with you and now your life will get easier and more comfortable. But we often pray for that, don't we? One way you can recognize a divine interruption is that usually it is a summons to servanthood, not comfort, not wealth, not power. Like if it's December in North Dakota and you suddenly think that God is calling you to serve him in Hawaii, you might want to listen again. Because usually when God interrupts someone's life, he calls them to serve. Now, hit the pause button on Mary's story right now. Let me get personal and let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you humbly submitted to one of God's interruptions? When was the last time you willingly let God interrupt your plans or your agenda? In our world, the more important someone is, the more they insulate their life against ever being interrupted. There's, there's generally an inverse correlation between status and interruptibility. One reason you could interrupt an anawim is because they were used to being interrupted. In our world today, we, we screen calls with caller ID and voicemail. Office phones have little buttons that you, you can push to send calls immediately into voicemail. And CEOs, important people, usually have a whole battery of assistants that shield them from interruptions. Now, fending off interruptions is not always a bad thing. You probably know some people at work or school who love to be interrupted, and they're not being spiritual. They just have short attention spans. But God never begins to move and act according to a human agenda. So when God works in someone's life, he has to interrupt them. Abraham, I want you to leave your home in Ur. Moses, I want you to leave this wilderness where you think you're safe. Gideon, I want you to get out of your hiding place and go fight. And see, this is supremely true at Christmas because Christmas is God's great interruption. And some people, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the magi, they, they say yes. And then some other people like Herod, they have an agenda. Herod has no intent of letting God interrupt his agenda. What about you? My agenda may not be bad, but sometimes I can get so focused on it that I, I insulate myself from the very thing I most desire, which is the adventure of God partnering with me in my life. God's interruptions can come in both big and small ways. And this was huge for Mary. But what if for you, what if what looks like an interruption in your day is actually a part of God's plan, is actually God nudging you to encourage someone who's discouraged, to serve a neighbor, to just listen to someone who's hurting and, and to do that even though you think you're too busy? 
I want you to ask yourself this question. How open am I to God's interruptions? How often do I think, God, is there something you want me to say? I'm here. Is there someone you want me to notice? Is there someone that, that I can serve? God, is there a word of encouragement I can speak to someone whose shoulders are a little slumped? Is there some gift I can give? Is there something, God, that I can do? You know, two primary ways God interrupt us have to do with sharing our faith and giving. Could God be calling you to be bold and courageous this Christmas and share Jesus with someone? Will you let him interrupt your Christmas busyness? You know, we all like to say Jesus is the reason for the season, but do we ever actually tell anyone about that? And then what about giving? You know, we want our money for our agenda. And yet God regularly calls us to give, to care more for others than ourselves, even to to sacrifice. Right now, that might mean for you giving above and beyond to our 2020 Christmas offering. For some of you, it might mean catching up on your regular giving. And here's reality, Southwinds. So many of you have been so very faithful in generosity during this pandemic season. But we are currently about 17% behind our 2019 giving. We have cut 2020 expenses in so many ways, but we want to be ready for whatever God has for us in 2021. I shared with you last week that we have as a church family an incredibly important opportunity during just the next few weeks. We have an opportunity to refinance our debt and save about $100,000 a year for the next 10 years. That's about a million dollars. This will free up so many resources for ministry. Now, to take advantage of this, it is imperative that that we have as much capital on hand as possible. And so any way that all of us together can give more than, than maybe we had planned, no matter the amount, it will make an impact. And it may just mean catching up on your regular giving. For some, it may mean giving sacrificially to the Christmas offering. For some, it may be that you want to accelerate your giving to breakthrough. We already have one family who has given $5,000 this week to breakthrough, giving ahead of their commitment just to help with this opportunity. Any additional giving of any amount, whether it's to the general fund or whether it's to breakthrough, that will help immensely. You know, if all of our our Southwinds families gave an extra $200 beyond what was normal for them, we would have an additional $100,000 on hand to qualify for refinancing. And I know that may not be possible for some of us, but I also know many of us could do much, much more. Now, we're not setting a goal. There will not be any pressure. I'm going to be mentioning this opportunity the next couple of weeks so everyone is aware. I'm just asking that you ask God what part he would have you play, even if it's an interruption. You know, our God, he really is the God of the interruption. And he really does lead us if we just pay attention. So let's say God interrupts you. Maybe he'll use an angel to do it, but probably he won't. Maybe it'll be your spouse. Maybe it'll be a friend. Maybe it'll be a thought of some way that you can help another person. How will you respond when God interrupts you? Here's the second way you can respond. Fearlessly trust God in the interruption. 
Now, this step is especially important in big interruptions. Mary was troubled when the angel greeted her, but her distress must have grown greater as she heard what God was up to. Look at verses 30 through 33. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The truth is, God's interruptions often bring fear to us. They, they may be beyond our ability to understand. What is God up to? How is this going to work out? And in fact, this is exactly what Mary asks. Look at verses 30 through 38. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Luke 137 is one of the great statements in Scripture. Notice the angel's words again. Some of you may need to underline them because this is where God wants to interrupt you right now. You're, you're facing a problem in your own life like Mary in hers, and you just need to have these words tattooed on your brain. Nothing is impossible with God. You see, whatever God's asking you to do, he will enable you to do it. This is one of the greatest statements ever uttered. But if there is a greater win in all the Bible, it might be the next verse, verse 38. Amazing words. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. It's a very strong statement. In New Testament Greek, there are two general terms for a servant. And the one is the, the word diakonos. But there's an even stronger word. It's the word doule. And doule means slave, which is even lower in the power hierarchy. And that's the word Mary uses. I'm the Lord's slave, the Lord's doule. May it be to me as you have said. I'm not in control, God. It's your plan. I trust you. I want to talk with you about this verse for a moment because if you're like me, these can be very moving words. I, I can read these words. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I can sing these words. I can get real moved. And when I see myself get moved, I, I can think I'm like Mary. I, I think I'm a servant too because I feel it. I feel moved by these words. But then if the price gets too high, if it's going to cost me too much money or time or effort, then I, I don't want to give if it gets hard emotionally, if it disrupts my lifestyle too much, sometimes I reserve the right to bail out because I really don't want to be a doule. In theory, I'm a servant, a slave, but my actions tell a different story. My actions tell me that I'm running the show. And so the question is, am I really the, the Lord's servant? Or is this just nice moving language that, that we use until the cost gets too high? Sometimes I think that we glamorize or romanticize what Mary did. It kind of works like this. I think to myself, you know, if an angel came to me and told me to go to a foreign country and like give up my job, make a huge sacrifice, I would do it. I'd say, yes, God, just give me a noble calling like that. 
God, just tell me what great thing you want me to do with my life. I'll obey. Just say the word. And I can think, I'm just like Mary. I'm a slave to God. And then I'm at home doing what I want to do. And a, a kid needs help with homework. And where does Mr. Servant go? Or my wife says, honey, the hall light is burned out. And I, I hear someone inside my body saying, well, you know, the bulbs are there in the hall closet. I can tell myself, God, I'll obey an angel. I'll, I'll say yes to some noble, glamorous call. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. But do not ask me, God, to interrupt my sofa time to help a child or serve my wife. Don't ask me, God, to interrupt my important schedule to tell someone about you. Don't ask me, God, to give away what I've been planning to use for myself. Don't ask me, God, to put a towel over my arm and to kneel down over a wash basin and to wash someone's feet in a place where no one else sees. When Jesus lived as a servant, when Jesus loved and identified with those who were in humble conditions, you need to know it was no accident. Just think about who raised him. You see, when Mary said the words, I'm your servant, it was not just theory. She was an Anawim, and she had been serving her whole life. She knew what she was talking about. So for her, it was not just some momentary feeling of devotion that came out of some uh, emotional experience. It was an actual expression of her actual character. And you know, the question right here is, where do I need to pray Mary's prayer right now? Mary's prayer is, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You may be right now facing a major decision like a career shift or a move away from your home or a lifestyle change. And maybe you've been like holding in reserve the option of dropping out of the caskets too high. Do you need to pray today? God, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation that's not your first choice, just like Mary. You're in a job you don't love, but you need to be there to pay bills and care for your family. Or, or maybe you're single and you really want to be married. Or maybe you're suffering from some illness. And what you need to pray today is, Lord, I wouldn't choose this situation, but I will choose to serve you in the midst of it. Lord, I will not let this defeat my spirit. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will start serving you right here, right now. You see, this is not primarily about your emotion. This is just a choice of the will. The story continues in verse 39. Listen to these words. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Mary later goes on a journey to see the one person who might be able to understand what she's going through. It's her relative, Elizabeth, a, a woman, maybe she's over 60 years old, who is pregnant for the first time. And it's a miracle. Mary knows about Elizabeth because the angel has told her. But Elizabeth doesn't know about Mary until Mary enters the home. 
And the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps at the sound of Mary's voice and she's filled with the Holy Spirit and God reveals to her who Mary is, the mother of my Lord. I, don't, I want to make sure you don't miss a remarkable thing here, that Jesus, who is yet unborn, is worshiped by Elizabeth, my Lord. The Holy Spirit enables even the unborn baby John to recognize who Mary is and who her child will be, and he leaps for joy. And then there's that last statement, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. See, Elizabeth recognizes Mary is blessed because she believes, because she trusts. And you need to hear this. To receive the gift of interruption this Christmas, you will just have to choose to trust in God. And even though Mary trusted God, it wasn't easy. You may not understand what God is doing, but you will only truly know Christmas when you trust God, even when God interrupts you. Are you trusting him now? Are you trusting him now? Here's the third step that we can take. And you can write this down as well in your notes. Always rejoice in God throughout the interruption. Now we're, we're going to read a prayer that's now 2,000 years old. And it is an astounding description of God's kingdom breaking into this earth. It's called the Magnificat. And it's a prayer of Mary, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Verses 50 through 55 continue. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stops to express her joy and her wonder at what God is doing in and through her. And, and here is something you cannot miss in this prayer. You may think that this, this kind of submission and trust in God will lead to nothing but misery. But if so, you need to know this. You need to know that anytime God interrupts someone and anytime they say yes, sooner or later, somewhere down the line, it leads to joy. In these verses, Mary stops she stops to do one other thing before she gets on with her life after the angel has left. She rejoices in the Lord. And this prayer is called the Magnificat because of, of Mary's words at the very beginning of verse 46. My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. And this prayer reveals what a remarkable person Mary is. I want to say a few words about this. Some of you come from a tradition where Mary was venerated to the point of being worshipped. And, and then others come from traditions that go to the opposite extreme where Mary's almost never even talked about. And we need to see that it is so clear that Mary here, she is a remarkable person. Uh, this prayer, the, this Magnificat, it, it's a classic example of an Anawim prayer. 
In it, the humble are exalted and the proud are brought down. The hungry are fed. The selfish rich are sent away empty. It's the way the kingdom of God works, how, how God turns everything upside down. The first or last, the last are now first. The servants are great. The slaves are the greatest of all because the kingdom of God is now here. And Mary is the one who saw it and rejoiced in it. And she just rips off this magnificent prayer that we must hear. I want you to guess at something. How many references or allusions to the Old Testament do you think this one prayer contains? Just take a guess. In the early 90s, I did some of my PhD work under a New Testament scholar by the name of Scott McKnight, and he's written an entire book on Mary, and this is what he writes, I quote, there are more than 30 allusions to Old Testament verses in this one magnificent prayer of thanksgiving, 30. But it gets even more amazing because do you know how old Mary was? Consensus among New Testament scholars is that she was probably 13 or 14. That's the age most girls were betrothed in that day. And you just think, you just think of the mind of a 13-year-old girl capable of praying a prayer like this. Just think of 13-year-old girls you know. Maybe you're listening today and you are 13. Do you have any idea what God can do with one 13-year-old girl? He brought his kingdom into this world through one. And partly it was because Mary's mind was immersed in the Old Testament scriptures. We don't have enough time to get deeply into this, but, but never forget that Mary was more than just an incubator for the body of Jesus. She was his mom. Because sometimes we, we know this, sometime after he was 12, most likely his dad died because by the time he was an adult, we don't read about Joseph anymore. And so many of the themes of Jesus' teaching and, and ministry you will find right here. Look at verse 49. Mary says, holy is his name. Do you remember the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. She says, he has filled the hungry with good things. Remember the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Give us today our daily bread. She says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. Remember when they told Jesus that Herod Antipas was trying to kill him and Jesus said, you go and tell that fox that I will keep healing the sick and preaching the gospel today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. And now you start to see from a human perspective where so much of that came from and never forget that Jesus was fully human as well as fully divine See, Mary's 13 or 14-year-old mind is just immersed in the Old Testament scriptures. And as a result, with all of her problems, her mind and her heart were filled with hope. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And here's what's so striking about this. This expression of great, unstoppable joy, it occurs before she has seen the outcome of any of this. Don't forget, she is a single, unwed mother in a culture where they stone you for that. She does not yet know how her fiancé, Joseph, will respond. She does not yet know what kind of scandal this will cause in her little village. 
Herod the Great, he's going to respond with infanticide. He's going to attempt to kill every baby boy born around Bethlehem. And she and her little family are going to have to flee their home and flee their country and travel to the country of Egypt. See, she knows that life will be incredibly hard. She doesn't know how anything will turn out. But yet, she's still rejoicing. And I think the secret to her joy is found in this first line in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. The Greek word that is used here is makarizo, and it, it means to make great, to extend, to magnify. And you know, when you grow up an anaweem like Mary, you learn real early in life that you can magnify your problems or you can magnify the Lord, one or the other. And she has chosen to magnify the Lord and she rejoices. Let me ask you, when was the last time God invited you just just to stop worrying about whatever it is you're worried about and just rejoice in the Lord? When was the last time God invited you to do that and you said yes? Here's another question. When does God want me not to be joyful? Obviously, there are times to grieve and times to repent of sin, but the overall condition to which God calls us is real clear. Philippians 4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always, I will say it again, rejoice. And so many times I close myself off from joy. I I get self-preoccupied. I have problems I carry around all by myself that I cannot solve. And how many times does God say, just stop. Just stop worrying and just stop obsessing over your little life. Just stop thinking that the whole world is being carried around on your shoulders. Just rejoice and be glad. And we need to just rejoice in the Lord at this of all times of the year. Why? Because Mary had a baby. Aren't you glad? I don't care what problem you may be facing. Mary's little baby can handle it because he grew up real good and he has all wisdom and power and you have nothing to worry about. I was thinking this week about this song. I was wondering how many times when Jesus was a little boy did Mary sit him on her lap and sing him her song? You know how kids have songs they just love Songs they want you to sing over and over again. I wonder if if that was Jesus' favorite song. If he would say to her when he was just a little guy, sing it to me again, mama. Sing me that song about how God is so big. Sing it again. And I wonder what would happen when she would sing to him the story of of how the angel came to her and told her that her old life, her her old plans, her her old dreams, they were all gone, and and he offered her a new life, a, a painfully, joyfully magnificent life if she was willing to die to the old one. I wonder what he did when she told him how she thought about it, and then she said, let it be according to your will. I wonder how quiet Jesus got when it came to that part of the song if Jesus knew what she went through for him. I wonder how many times she said to that little boy, it's okay, son, it's okay. Your heavenly father has always been faithful. And so if he ever asks you to do a hard thing, son, remember how your life started. Remember what your mom said when she was just a scared young girl. 
And years later, in the garden, in the shadow of the cross, the father did ask his son to do a real hard thing. Will you take on yourself the weight of the sins of the world, the death of this dark world, so that love and life and light could begin the great change? And the son thought about it for a moment, and the son said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Let it be according to your will. And I wonder, I wonder if he thought in the garden, hey, mom, I'm singing our song. I'm singing our song. I said yes to the hard thing because Jesus was God of very God and Jesus was his mother's son. Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Just close your eyes, focus in on the Lord right now as we think about what he's saying to us. Would you just take this moment, wherever you are in this season that can be so busy, so, so filled with so many songs and so many words, would you take a moment just to ponder and treasure You know, everybody magnifies something. And the question for all of us is, what will we magnify? Everybody sings something. The question is, what song will your life sing? And so, Heavenly Father, on this day, as we remember Jesus and as we remember his mom, and and we are so amazed, Lord, we we marvel. Lord, we're undone. And and now this, this old, old song comes to us with this old question. Will you die to your old plans and your old dreams and your old life so that through Jesus, you can be born again into a joy-filled, painfully magnificent life? God, I just pray for everyone who is listening. Some are right now, Lord, in the highest place and some are in the lowest place. Would you speak to us the truth we need to hear? Lord, would you strengthen us as we say to you, Lord, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. We pray these things now in Jesus' name, his good name, his his strong name. Everybody, wherever you are, says amen. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been such a privilege to study God's word with you. I hope you are experiencing in your life the joy of Christmas. And I look forward to worshiping again with you next week. I'll see you soon.